I don't know if you knew this, but I used to have a motorcycle. It was a 2001 Harley Sportster 883 Hugger Edition. I think we have a, a, a picture here for you just to prove that this really was uh, me. That, that, that's me. You can't really see my face, but that's me in the helmet and, 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 and armor there. But I used to have this motorcycle, and uh, I lived in Seattle, uh, Washington State here. One of, the, one of the best things to do was to get on that bike and ride out into the open country. I don't know if you've been to, to Seattle, but there's mountains, uh, there's lakes, there's ocean. It's just beautiful. And so for me, I would love to get out there on the open road and just experience the joy and, and the freedom and, and seemingly the boundless opportunity of being out on the road. And uh, I don't know if that's you. If you like to go for drives, I got rid of my motorcycle a while back, uh, traded, it, traded it in for some from kids. And, um, but I still like to go on drives. And um, here, here's what I want you to know. Here's why I say that. Here's what I want you to know. You and I were made for the open road. You and I, spiritually speaking, were made to have that sense of freedom and, and joy and, and boundless opportunity. I want to show you a picture here that I think captures that. Take a look at this. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see this picture, I just think, yes. That's where I want to be. I want to be on that road driving and just enjoying this kind of freedom. So this is what you and I are made for. But many of us, though we were made for the open road, we find ourselves stuck in traffic. Let me show you another picture that's probably going to stress you out. So go ahead and look at this. So you and I are made for the open road, but many of us are stuck sitting in traffic. We're beginning a new series today, and what it's going to do is it's going to help reveal and remove these obstacles that are in our path to get us back out on the open road. What you and I were designed to be, God's intention for us, spiritually speaking, to live lives of boundless opportunity and freedom and joy. And so here's the point. You and I made for the open road, but many of us stuck in traffic. And so for, for the next uh, uh, 11 weeks, this series is going to be about experiencing freedom and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. It's going to be about becoming whole in a broken world. And in the Bible, there's a word that really uh, encapsulates all of these ideas, and it's the word transformation. In the Bible, you and I, if we have believed in Jesus, are being transformed. We are called to a life of transformation. And this is what we're going to be looking at in this series. Biblically, what does transformation look like in our lives? And we're going to unpack it in detail. And here's what you need to know. You and I, whether or not you know Jesus, you and I, this is what we most long for, a sense of wholeness and fulfillment and satisfaction and and known purpose. We long to be transformed. In fact, we live in a time where people are literally transforming their outward appearances in a quest to find out who they are, in a quest to be whole and have that sense of fulfillment. But as believers, we know that only God, only your creator can tell you who you are. 
And only your creator can reveal to you what he's called you to be and how he's called you to live. Only he can give you that sense of wholeness. And so we're gonna be spending time looking at how God transforms us. And today, we're just gonna look at one verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which in many ways uh, is, the, is the reason uh, that we're doing this series. And this is one of my favorite verses. I've been studying it for years. Uh, there's just so much uh, truth and beauty in this verse. So you can go ahead and uh, open up your Bibles and go there. And really what we're going to do today is kind of an overview of the whole series. In this series we've called Becoming Whole, uh, Living a Transformed Life. And so you can go uh, to 2 Corinthians 3.18. If this is your first time here, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a great joy to be with you wherever we find you uh, this morning, or if you're listening to this later on, uh, we are so glad that you are here. We don't think it's by accident that you are sitting here uh, listening or watching with us. So let me go ahead and pray for our time, and we'll get going into this idea of transformation. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you have pursued us, and you have a purpose and an intention for us, that you have not left us alone to figure things out, to, to change our own lives, to, to know the right way to go, but you are here to guide us and to uh, literally change us from the inside out. I pray today that you would work, that your truth would be revealed through your Holy Spirit to all those who would listen to this message, and you would begin a work today in those who have not yet believed in you, and you will continue a work in those who have believed. Teach us today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We invite you. We trust in you. Would you bring your word to life? We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Well, let's just look at our verse. We're going to back it up, just one verse, and look at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 and then our verse 18. Here's what we read. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, again, think, open road, boundless freedom. This is what uh, is offered to us in the Spirit of God. And we all, that's, that's the church, we all, Paul here is writing to the, the Corinthians, and uh, because God ordained that this letter would be included in our Bibles, he is also writing to us. And we all who have believed in Jesus, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and really look at five uh, truths about biblical transformation. And what's the first thing we see here? Well, it's just in our word. The word is transformation, that we are being transformed. In other words, this is something that is happening to us, and it's happening to us by the Spirit of God. So we are being transformed. The Greek word there is the word metamorphe, from which we get our English word metamorphe. Metamorphosis. Now, if you're like me, every time I hear the word metamorphosis, I can't help but think of a caterpillar and a butterfly. So I have a nice image here for you. And, and this is what metamorphosis is. This caterpillar goes into a cocoon, a, a proverbial death, if you will, and then comes out of the cocoon. We'll, well, cocoon, we'll call that a, a resurrection. And he comes out as a completely transformed thing, this beautiful butterfly. And so this is the idea behind transformation, behind metamorphosis or metamorphic. You could also uh, think about a seed becoming a flower. Paul uses this in 1 Corinthians 
15, he talks about a seed looks nothing like what the flower will be. And so it goes through a kind of transformation. And so the first truth that we see about biblical transformation, it is a complete and total change. Transformation is a complete change that happens. And what we see here is what we, we, we don't just need more policies or more programs or more politicians or presidents. We don't need more information or more education. What we need biblically is utter transformation, a complete change. You know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. This is the scope of change that we need, as if we were dead to becoming someone alive. And so the first thing we see in this verse is that transformation by its nature is a complete change. The second thing we see in this verse is this. Transformation is a process. It's a process, and it has a beginning and and end. It, it happens over time. Many of us here uh, in America, we want immediate change. We want immediate transformation. And so most of us, it's hard to take the time to let God work in us what he's trying to do in and through us. And so we need to see here that this takes place over time. We see this in 2 Corinthians 3.18 and this, uh, these phrases right here, that we are being transformed again into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from one degree of glory to another, literally from glory uh, to glory. And so it has a beginning point. It has uh, an end point. Now, what does this look like? If we flip over to Romans 8.30, we see Paul giving us this grand picture of what God is doing in all of our lives. Listen to what he says. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here is the beginning and end of transformation. Our justification, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, we are declared righteous. We are given Christ's righteousness. Our sin is atoned for, and we are justified. It's the beginning of our transformation. And the end is what's called glorification. When Jesus will come back, and he will finally deal with Satan's sin and death, and we will become all that God has called us to be. And in the middle, what's happening is this process called sanctification, or we could call transformation. And so you could ask, well, what exactly are we being transformed into? Well, one verse earlier in Romans 8, 29, we see the answer to that. Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that word conformed there has the same root word as our uh, word metamorphe. The word here in Greek is soon morphe. So again, the word is morphe. So it has connotates the same idea that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. And so we are justified, and then we begin our transformation process into the image of Jesus. And then one day we will be glorified, finally uh, made whole and perfected. And so if we were you know, in a business, we even do this in church. You say, you know, what is the end goal? What is the vision? Uh, what, what are we all trying to do? Well, here, here's the truth. Here's what, you, we, we can ask the same thing biblically. What is God's vision for the church? What is God's vision for you and I? And here it is. God's vision is Jesus Christ. Jesus is what you and I were meant and designed to be. Only Jesus did it perfectly. And what happens when we believe in him? We are given his perfection. And it begins our transformation process, that we would be conformed, transformed into his 
image, meaning that we will begin to live a life like he lived, and we will begin to have a heart like he had. Now, you might ask, okay, we're all being transformed into his image. Does that mean we're all going to look the same? And uh, in, in one sense, yes, we, we kind of grow the character of Christ, but in, a, in another sense, no. And there's this really beautiful picture um, that I think captures uh, what I think God is doing. And so if you picture uh, you know, a stained glass window, what we're seeing here, in fact, our, our, our uh, graphic for this series is, is trying to capture this. Uh, let, me, let me read this quote, which I think helps captures it. The splendor of the glory of God shines uniquely through each human personality and story. Like the light through a stained glass window, the different colored pieces symbolize different people. So the glory of God dignifies and fulfills each unique personality and story. And so then the communal differences and the communal experience give this full-fledged, beautiful, differentiated picture of God's glory. And so this is a beautiful picture of what the church is and what the church can be. And so what we've seen so far, transformation is a complete change. It's a process. But now we can ask, well, how does this process take place? Well, let's jump back into 2 Corinthians 3.18. What, what do we see here? It says, and we all, well, let me just tell you, transformation begins by removing the veil. Where do we see that in our verse? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face. Okay, what does this phrase mean? What does this mean to have an unveiled face? face. This is, this is the beginning of transformation. And what's happening in this section of 2 Corinthians is uh, Paul is, is, is contrasting the Old Testament, the Old Covenant under Moses who gave the law with the New Covenant, the Covenant of Christ. And he's saying the New Covenant by the Spirit, not by the letter, is far more glorious than the Old Covenant. And so he's making, uh, he's making this uh, contrast. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. He says, you uh, show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so the veil in this section, we all with unveiled face, the veil represents our unbelief, our natural sinful state, our unredeemed and unregenerate self, our hardness of heart, our spiritual deadness. And the first obstacle that needs to be removed is this veil that has been put over us. And once that is removed, we have the proverbial green light uh, to move ahead in what God is going to do. So let me just show you uh, why this is. If we look in, uh, we're going to look over in 2 Corinthians uh, verses 3 to 4, where he's going to continue this uh, argument here. And so I just want to show you where that comes up. Um, So look here, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and 4. Even if our gospel, there again, the covenant of Christ is veiled, there's our word, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Perishing meaning those who have not believed, those who are spiritually dead. Listen to this. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. You and I have a spiritual enemy and he, everything he does is to obstruct and blind our view of who God is. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so Satan's whole game is to blind us, is to, to, to keep that veil over our eyes. So maybe you ask, well, how, do, how does that veil get removed? If we look at 2 Corinthians 3, 
14 to 16, just before our verse today, here's what we see. Their minds were hardened, again, contrasting the old and new, for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Why? Because it is only through Christ that it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, so hearts and minds, but listen to this, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So what do we see from these verses? Two things, how the veil is removed. Number one, that we uh, turn to the Lord. When we turn to the Lord, and this isn't just behaviorally, it's at a heart level. When we turn to the Lord, it's our first act of true repentance. And it is turning to the Lord that that veil is removed. But it also says that the veil is only removed through Christ. Christ is the only way back to the Father and into his presence. And so what, what does this mean? It's really interesting. If you read Matthew 27, the account of Jesus's crucifixion, as he's on the cross, here's what uh, Matthew reports. He says, and behold, this is Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What's he talking about? In the temple in that day, there was what was called the Holy of Holies, which was where the, the presence of God resided. It's where the high priest would go in once a year and make atonement for all the people. And uh, that curtain really uh, acted as a veil. And so when Jesus died, uh, that veil was torn into, thus opening the way into God's presence. Listen to Hebrews 10, 19 to 20, how he says it. This is fascinating. We have confidence to enter the holy places, the, the holy of holies, the presence of God, by what? By the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, through the veil, that is his flesh. In other words, Jesus's flesh being torn in two opened the way into God's presence and thus the power of transformation through the Holy Spirit. And so in this first act of repentance, our transformation begins when we turn to the Lord and put our faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This then leads us into freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now that we are free, we are able to walk with God. And I'll tell you, for me, I experienced this moment in my life. I went uh, 26 years with that veil over my mind and over my heart, and I tried uh, as many different ways as I could legally to feel that kind of wholeness and fulfillment and satisfaction. I had a job. I had a relationship. I had friends. I had uh, money. I had a house. I had a car. I had everything you could want. And I remember thinking this very clearly, looking at all I had, and externally looked like everything was great. I had everything you could want. But internally, I was empty. And I remember thinking, I, I have all this stuff, but I have not experienced any transformation in my life. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, removed that veil. And I was able to respond to God for the first time. And my life was changed. And so for us, the first step of our transformation is coming to Jesus, is removing that veil. Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. Um, I don't know, maybe you're watching this sometime later on, but, here, but here's what I want you to know. You are not here by accident. 
The Lord is pursuing you, and he has intended you to come to this very moment that he might remove the veil from your heart and you might respond to him in faith. I, I want to just take a moment here. And, and church, just pray with me right now that whoever's listening right now or in the future, because God's outside of time, would you just pray with me right now that God would do a work? Let's, let's pray. God, we, we just know you're, you're everywhere, you're at all times. And we pray for those listening right now. If someone is wrestling with you, Lord, would you remove that veil from their heart and allow them to see you as you are and to give their life to you, to see that you have died for them and given your life to them. God, would you move that person to respond to you and to come and to begin a transformational process for the rest of their life. We pray that you do this, God. We know you can. Pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if, if this is you and, and, and you, you, you respond, you say, I gave my life to Jesus or I'd like to give my life to Jesus, would you just comment on whatever platform you're on or fill out a Next Steps card? Uh, we would love to connect with you and, and help you walk through this process. So this, so this removal of the veil is the first step in transformation. And then um, once the veil is removed, now we can see Jesus and the real work of transformation begins. And what we're going to see is that transformation comes from beholding Christ. It is by beholding Jesus that we are transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 again. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what is this? It says the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is Jesus. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, a couple verses later. Listen to this. God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Genesis 1 there. The God that created all things from nothing has shown where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is the person and the work of Jesus. And so we are transformed by beholding Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? This, this word behold, it only, it only shows up here in all the Bible. What does this word behold mean? It's very important. It's not just a visual or intellectual activity. One commentator says it's an existential confrontation with who Christ is. There is a hint of intimacy in this idea. To behold something is, is to see it, but it's also to study it, to contemplate it, to know it, to hold it close. The CSV translates this word, uh, behold, as to look in a mirror. Literally, it means to reflect. So imagine, you know, you're getting ready for dinner or a wedding or a dance or whatever it is, and you're looking in the mirror at yourself, and you're doing what? You're studying it. You're contemplating it. You're, you know, making all the adjustments you need to make. This is what the Bible talks about us beholding Jesus, as if we're seeing him across the table, as in a mirror. And it's by looking at him, by beholding Christ, that you and I are transformed. That is by seeing Jesus, by seeking Jesus, by studying Jesus, by contemplating who Jesus is, by knowing Jesus, and by holding Jesus close, to clinging to Jesus for very life. And more than that, it's appropriating it's taken what God has given to us by grace that we are changed. And so what we're going to do is really unpack what does that actually look like. 
And let me tell you what the problem is, right? Because I said, you know, the veil's removed. We can see God now. We can see where we're going. But, but, but knowing Jesus and seeing Jesus doesn't automatically remove all these obstacles in our life. So again, we may see Jesus, but we all may be sitting in traffic. We have all these obstacles in our life. And so what we need to do is learn how to reveal and remove those obstacles. Because the reality is they've been accumulating our whole life. And so we come to know Jesus. All of our problems don't just go away. But now we begin this transformational process. And here's just what I'm going to say, and we'll unpack this later in the series. There are two simultaneous truths that we need to realize about each of us. Number one, that we are sinned against. Look, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. That's what's wrong. And because of that, we are sinned against. We are, are wounded. And these wounds have effects. And if we don't let those wounds heal, they cause all sorts of problems. We may not even be aware of it. So we are sinned against. At the same time, we are sinners. So we are sinners by nature and by choice. And so we sin and we wound other people. And when we're wounded, we respond in sinful ways. We cope and we soothe in ways that God has not called us to do. And we develop all kinds of addictions. And so each of us, we're, we're, we're living in this simultaneous truth. In a broken world, we are both sinners and sinned against. And so transformation looks like dealing with both of these realities at the same time. And we tend to just focus on one or the other. In Christian circles, we may just focus on sin, and, and everything becomes a repentance issue. In our secular world, maybe just focus on everything as a wound. Everything, you, just, you need to have empathy, and you need to be healed and cared for. But biblically, we see that both of these are true. And when we get those mixed up, it causes all kinds of problems. Because here's the truth. You cannot repent of a wound. You can only heal from it. And you're not called to heal from sin. You're called to repent of it. So what we're going to do in the coming weeks is, is untangle these and see what does this actually look like in my life? And how can I begin to experience freedom again and, and get out on that open road? And so what we're going to see we're going to learn how to truly repent. We're going to learn how to truly heal. And we're going to learn how to walk in resurrection power. And when we do that, God's going to do big things in your life and mine. So here's the last thing uh, I'll say before we, we close here. What you need to know is this isn't all up to you. Um, God's spirit is the one doing the work within you. That's why the Bible says we are called to walk by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, to not quench the Spirit. The Spirit's whole job in John 14 is to remind us what Jesus did, what he did for us, what he taught. And so you and I are called to walk in step with the Spirit, and it's by doing that that we are transformed. So just to reiterate, the very last part of a verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is so we're going to learn what this means. And I'm going to tell you, my, uh, my hope in this series is to really lay a spiritual foundation that we would learn what the process of transformation looks like, how we truly repent of sin, how we learn to heal from wounds, and how we learn to appropriate and walk in the power of the resurrection. And when we do that, we will progressively become more of who God has called us to be. And when we do that as a church, 
we are going to grow and we will become the church that God has called us to be in this time, in this particular place to reach the city, the nations, the generations with the hope of Jesus and the transformative power of the gospel. And so this is what I want to invite you into over these next 11 weeks. You say, well, what should I do? Let me give you a couple things. Number one, you need to commit to walk through this process. Commit to walk through this process. Transformation is not an easy thing. There will be things that we're going to have to confront, things that we don't want to do, people that we have to forgive that we don't want to forgive. But all of it is going to free us to, to get on that, that open road to freedom. So you got to commit to the process. But here's the truth. This kind of transformation happens in community. So number two, get in a group. Get in a community group. All of our groups are going to be going through this content uh, throughout the fall and wrestling through these concepts. So if you're not in a group, please get in a community group and begin walking this out in community. And if you need help, send us a message, fill out a next steps card, say, hey, I would like to be in a group and we will do our best to get you connected to other people. Thirdly, there's some supplemental material uh, that will help you along in your journey. And so uh, we really believe here at One Hope Church that there is power in the word of the Lord. And we believe in, in reading the Bible and that the Bible actually reads us. And so part of what we want to do is provide you with a reading plan. And so every week we will have a reading plan. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't know where to start in reading the Bible, I'd encourage you to jump into that and begin reading the Bible along with us. And the way we've designed that is to have some scriptures going along with where we're at in the series to think about and meditate on. Um, we also have a psalm each day to read. We've got some Proverbs each day to read. And then I truly believe it's always helpful to be in a gospel. So we've got the gospel of Matthew that we're going to be working through. So I'd encourage you to get, uh, get the reading plan and just start reading with us. The, the second thing is, if you want to go a little bit deeper in this content, you can pick up this book, uh, The Key to Deep Change. Um, a lot of the same concepts allow you to wrestle through some of these things uh, in a bit more detail than we'll do in the sermons. Uh, but we'd love for you to pick this up. In fact, we'd love to give uh, five free copies away. So if you want a free copy of this book, just go ahead and uh, post or comment in whatever platform you're on and say, I want a free book, and uh, we'll do our little raffle thing, and then we will send you one of these books. So uh, go ahead and do that, and Megan will take care of that. And so uh, the, these are the things you can do. Commit to the process, get in a group. You can do some uh, extra reading here. Uh, and, and lastly, and this is really the most important thing, you can pray. Praying, I'm convinced, is the most important thing you and I will do. More important than preaching sermon, more important than getting in community. Praying that God would move in your life and in the life of your friends and family and unbelievers in your circles. Because here's the reality. You and I are in a spiritual war. And God's, or sorry, Satan's whole game is to put obstacles in your path to prevent you from seeing God as he is and walking out this transformational path. And so let's pray. Let's pray that God would move in this church, that God right now would move in your heart and you would begin to experience the joy and the freedom and the boundless opportunity that Paul says the kingdom of God is all about in Romans. So on that note, let me pray for us. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you jump in with this series with us. Let me close this out in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. That even when we didn't deserve it, that even as we were running away, as even right now in our hearts, that, that there may be resistance, that you continue to pursue us. And you are there 
waiting for us to run home to you like the prodigal son. And you will embrace us with open arms. Father, I pray now for One Hope Church that we would step into this process and allow you to work. And we, God, we, we ask for you to do miracles that transform lives, that transform this church, and to begin to transform this culture. God, we love you. Totally, completely dependent on you. Holy Spirit, come. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen.